and welcome to the Yoga of Resilience podcast presented by Vera Bhava Yoga. I'm your host, Kelly Golden, here to guide you in an exploration of yoga and its relationship to resilience. I'm a writer, yoga teacher, dedicated practitioner, and exhaustive thinker, and I've been practicing and studying yoga since 1995 and teaching since 2003. This podcast follows my exploration of Sri Vidya Tantra and its direct application to our lives in all situations, on and off the mat. Through contemplation, conversation, wondering, and experience, we unpack the ways in which resilience is synonymous with the path and practice of yoga, and the ways that both practices support us in showing up whole and alive in the midst of hardship and challenge. Most of these conversations were recorded live with current Virabhava Yoga students, and you can find yoga asana practices affiliated with each episode on our website, virabhavayoga.com. These practices and conversations are guideposts on the path to living a resilient life. If you would like to explore with us more deeply, check out our programs at virabhavayoga.com and practice with our teachers online and in your area. This episode was originally recorded in April 2020 at the beginning of the pandemic. And in it, we dare to wonder if the experience of modern yoga is an experiment that might have failed. The question posed and explored is, can we let go of what we think we know that yoga is and allow ourselves to be utterly lost, utterly confused, to have zero understanding, to let go of control and the idea that we are doing yoga to master anything and instead start to discover and hopefully begin to excavate what yoga could be for each of us? Can we turn toward our practice as a bridge to trusting ourselves over external authority, to accessing our resilience in times of difficulty, and to accepting the unknown not as an obstacle but as an opportunity? I hope you all enjoy. We do these about once a quarter. I think um, that we might not have done last quarters because of, um, well, because of coronavirus. I think it had us all knocked off. We had gone to India um, and then came back and things were really weird. And that's how they have continued to exist in the weird spaces um, ever since then. So um, I'm going to talk for about an hour. Um, I might talk a little less and see if we can open up some space for discussion because I'm really interested about how things are going for you guys that are sort of out there becoming yoga teachers or um, have been teaching yoga, whether you just got started or you've been um, teaching for a while. This world change has really impacted what it means to be a yoga teacher and a yogi in the world. And so I'm really interested in in everybody's stories. Um, I noticed that, you know, most of you on this call know me, maybe not everybody, but most of you guys know me. And for those of you that know me, 
sort of teaching in in a, a capacity to the, that doesn't require me coming every um, week or or every month to a, a physical space is not sort of out of the norm of what we're doing. And what Virabhava Yoga has been doing um, for the last, well, almost 18 months is we've been compiling our advanced studies program and, and putting it into an online format, mostly because I was just getting really tired of traveling all over the country. And so we completed that uh, program in March. And so now the, a big chunk of our content is online. Um, so I'm, I'm dancing in this place of trying to understand um, how this change is impacting all of us and how, um, how to meet that change, how to meet that impact. So um, I'm going to start talking. You ready? <laughs> um, I just got off a, uh, literally just finished a class with, uh, do you guys know the poet David White? Just finished a class with uh, David White, which uh, was amazing. It was the third of a series of three classes about uh, how to be courageous in poetry. And he said something in his last class. He said, uh, when you are far away, the work is to feel the distance. And, you know, I think we're all looking at ways to, to close the gap of distance right now. Um, because sort of without our choice and without our agency, we have been commanded to be distant from each other. And because of the uh, intense discomfort that that has created, as much about perhaps uh, the lack of agency in the choice as the distance itself, there is a, an uh, anxiety and edge that has come with this um, space making that we've been offered. And, you know, I've, I've sat uh, with several groups of people, groups of students in the last uh, uh, six weeks or so, and, and everyone has reflected something really similar, which is we feel at once overwhelmed, insecure, afraid, um, out of our element, and at the same time, we feel grateful. We feel like we're coming into some space of relaxation, like we're landing in ourselves for the first time in a really long time. Um, and so we're holding just by, by the nature that, that is somewhat out of our control, well, that is 100% out of our control. We're holding these two extreme tensions together at once and, and trying to learn how to live in these extreme tensions. So the first thing I want to say is that in essence is Tantra. The ability to hold two opposing tensions simultaneously at once at the same time, that is Tantra, right? So we have unbeknownst to us, uh, somewhat unawares, been invited not only into the practice of Tantra, but into the living of Tantra. We are now active participants in something that maybe we had no idea we even wanted to be a part of. Maybe we didn't even want to be a part of it. Now, if you guys have been hanging out in Virabhava, in Virabhava Yoga Land, you wanted to be a part of it, even if it's on the periphery, because it's intriguing, this idea to hold opposites at once. It is 
interesting to say the least that we can feel both confined, isolated, um, afraid, trapped, and at the same time, we can feel spacious and free and calm and connected. So one of the things I've noticed in my conversations with um, my heart people is how much more valuable my connection to my people has become instantaneously. Even though I can no longer uh, you know, sit on the front porch with them, uh, I can't hop an airplane and, and fly out to California and, and hang out with, with my friends there. But in the time, we are making the time to connect in a way that we never would have before. We've been, we would have been way too busy right, to make the time to connect. And now intentionality is entering the story of connection. Um, I think I've spent, I know personally, I can only speak for myself, but for, I've spent the last 10 years desiring connection, but feeling too busy to have it, right? So yeah, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to go to lunch with you. I would love to uh, hang out with you later. Let's see what happens has now become, I'll sit in front of my computer screen and I'll meet you at this designated time and we will have these amazing conversations and, um, and I'm gonna make the time to do it, right? Um, so all of that leads up to what I wanna talk about today. I think the little tagline I put on this, I, I, I put a trigger warning, which I should probably just put on everything I do, probably. Um, but the trigger warning is, hey, I'm probably not going to make anybody feel better about the state of the world today. Um, because that is out of the scope of what I can do. And what I am going to do today is start provoking thought, I hope, around a larger understanding of what yoga is and what our role is in it. So most everybody on this call is either a yoga teacher and definitely a yogi, if not a yoga teacher. And so we're really interested in what it means to be sharing yoga at this time because the ways that we have shared yoga in the past are so far from what it seems like we can grasp right now. And maybe that's true also for the ways that you're practicing. Um, everybody's practices are really unique to them, but if your primary practice has been or and continues to be uh, practicing in a class setting or a class atmosphere, that's really been rocked to its core. Because though you can gather with a teacher, maybe even your teacher, it is impossible to gather in community with other people outside the scope of these little, I love the meme that's got the Brady Bunch boxes. This is how all of our meetings work. We're like looking up and seeing our friends on the screen. Um, who knew how prophetic the Brady Bunch was? So I guess my, my interest right now being in the business or the industry of yoga and simultaneously being a practitioner of the yogic sciences first and foremost. Um, I've been having a lot of conversations in the last two weeks. If the industry of yoga went away, how many of us would still practice yoga? That's like one of the most poignant questions that has come into my being in the last two or three weeks is if the, if the industry of yoga went away, if, if, if yoga studios ceased to exist, if 
yoga teachers were no longer available to consult, would you still practice yoga? So I want to tell you a story. I started practicing yoga in 1994. Uh, some of you probably remember 1994. Um, it was late 1994, early 1995. I had gone to college uh, before my time and experienced the manifestation of the stress and overwhelm that I was uh, living in as a 16 year old in college in, in a university that was bigger than the town where I grew up. The, the stress and the overwhelm, we didn't have those words in 94. Oh, how far the world has come. We didn't have words for stress and overwhelm in 1994. So I was experiencing physical pain. And so I went to doctors. Doctors told me there was nothing they could do but put me on pain medication. So I sought out ways to relieve my pain. And one of the ways was I found this video. VHS cassette. Some of you guys remember that, which makes me really happy. I found this VHS cassette of a yoga class and I took it home, popped it into my VHS player and started doing what they were telling me to do. And by the end, I immediately felt physical relief. I felt better in my body. I proceeded to do that videotape from 1994 until 1998. Uh, nine. It broke once. I had to replace it because I'd worn it out so much. But at some point during that experience of exploring yoga, um, well, I, I, I looked for yoga classes. I went to, I was living in Knoxville, Tennessee at the time, and I went to the big pink health food store, uh, paper mill, and, and asked for a yoga mat, and they had no idea what I was talking about. I couldn't even buy a yoga mat. Now I know this is hard to believe, but this was pre-internet. So I couldn't get on and Amazon myself, whatever I wanted, literally had to find it. And nobody in that town of half a million people where I was living in East Tennessee knew what a yoga mat was. So I practiced for the first five years without a yoga mat. And I definitely practiced without a teacher looking at me, putting eyes on my body and or hands on my body. And I practiced all alone. But what happened was I practiced that same class over and over and over until it became embodied. It became an internal dialogue of experience. And all of a sudden, I didn't even need the video anymore. And then at some point, I didn't even need to do that same sequence anymore, I was liberated to start exploring what I perceived yoga to be on my, on my floor, on my living room carpet. I didn't attend my first yoga class until late 1999, so I practiced for almost six years without a teacher, without a community, without a class. And I believe, I know it seems like it was so long ago, and maybe it was, but I believe that how we practice yoga now is in its infancy. How we practice yoga now, that's awesome. How we practice yoga now is so far from how yoga has been practiced for so long, yet we have become so embedded 
enmeshed in our fishbowl experience of this is how we're supposed to practice yoga, that we've forgotten that there were centuries of practice that preceded the way that we practice now. And so the first thing I want to offer or invite you to consider is the possibility that the way we practice yoga now might have been a grand experiment that didn't work. Now, I don't know that that's true for you. And I know that there's a lot of people out there that desire to practice in community and be led by a teacher. They want that wisdom. But I also know that there's a lot of you, a lot of you on this call, that have done the work to understand how to practice on your own. So what do we do? And this is my, I don't know if it's my lead question, but this is maybe my most pokey question. What if the way that we've been doing yoga in the last two decades isn't working? And we've finally been given a moment to reevaluate. What if this massive shutdown of community classes, this global um, retraction of our ability to be together is giving us, along with a lot of fear and a lot of overwhelm and a lot of unknowns, it's giving us the opportunity to evaluate how we're doing this practice. So if we're really practicing yoga, and I said this in a video I did last month and, and personally to a lot of you, if we're really practicing yoga, we're feeling uh, resilient in these times of hardship, right? We're finding our way onto our mat, whether or not our classes are available to us, right? Otherwise, if we're feeling like we, we're not sure what to do or how to get started, because you all know, Maybe a lot of you are, are participating in this, in which case, kudos, um, props to you. Teach me, that's what I want to say. Um, you all know that we've got so many online resources to lead us through a yoga class these days. You could do 300 yoga classes a day if the time was available to you. With 300 different yoga teachers every day if the time was available to you. So we're not in a, a place where being led through an asana class isn't available to us. Are we desiring to do asana or are we desiring to do yoga? That is the question that I potentially am posing right now and probably have always been insinuating into the conversation. Is our yoga simply what we're doing on our yoga mat? And in order to do that yoga, do we have to be guided by someone else? Right? So for the next 40 minutes, I want to challenge you. Can we let go of what we think that we know that yoga is? Can we allow ourselves to be utterly lost, utterly confused, to have zero understanding, to let go of control and the 
idea that we can master anything and start to discover to excavate what yoga could be and then based on that excavation which i don't imagine is going to end at the end of this call based on that excavation can we then go home go back to our mats go back to our cushions and determine what yoga is for each of us and then start making the movement start taking the initiative for what yoga really is to you to start being made manifest in the world as we move into this place of how are we going to come back into the world right so that's the question i'll i'll lead with i dare you <laughs> to let go of what we thought yoga was so i'll give you some support in that you know me and the poke I'll do my best to poke you a little bit more. Allowing ourselves to dismantle what we thought was right and true, what maybe what we even thought we had become really good at, right? A lot of us do a lot of yoga. A lot of us on this call show up onto our mats regularly. We have a committed, dedicated practice. Maybe we're also dedicated meditators. Maybe we have a really firm and clear idea of what yoga is and we're feeling really connected and attached to that idea and so every day we're making the time to do it and what if what we thought about yoga is in the opportunity of being dismantled what if what we thought was holding us together isn't really real at all and that when we get really quiet and really still and we do that that thing that when we're far away we work to feel the distance itself when we're far away from the normalcy of what we perceive yoga to be we actually start feeling what yoga actually is maybe we'll find and i'd love for this to continue maybe in a chat maybe we'll find that we feel a lot of the same ways about what yoga is and it might not look anything at all like what we thought it was on march 12th are can we be brave enough to allow the unweaving the dismantling of the ideas of what we thought yoga was to really start to move into what it is so i have a teacher who says yoga is not what you practice it's who you are another teacher spins that slightly differently and says yoga is what you practice until you remember it's what you are so if that's true and we've all been called to this opportunity to finally have this space not all of us i want to be i want to be clear i've been uh talking to a lot of people helping me correct that vision but many of us have been called into this place where all of a sudden we have all of this space all of this time we're not even sure what to do with it is this an opportunity to start to understand how yoga is manifesting as each of us individually so is what we're doing in the world prior to this life that we're now in this strange liminal pausing space that we're inhabiting is what we're doing as yoga in the world what we want to continue to do as yoga for the rest of time that's 
that's the question to hold. So the first thing I, I want to sort of unpack with that is, I wonder, do you guys know how to raise your hand on this uh, Zoom game? Or talk to me on Instagram. I think you guys can like uh, wave or um, do something. Um, do you guys, how many of you are practitioners that practice alone? How many of you are in the habit of practicing yoga without a class? I'm seeing who's on the call. Yeah, most of you guys are in the habit of practicing alone. Yeah. Those of you who have students in the world that maybe you're leading online classes for or you're uh, connecting with still, how many of them are used to practicing alone or feel comfortable being on their mats alone? Not many, like, yeah, I see, I see. Yeah. So a lot of people are coming to our yoga, our online yoga classes right now because there's a discomfort in getting on your mat alone. We're not sure what to do and we're not sure how to do it and we're afraid that we might hurt ourselves or you know, the list of why we don't get on our mats when we do have space and time, that, that idea of space and time is starting to disintegrate. Um, what do we do to support the possibility that yoga has nothing to do with correct sequencing. I know that most of you guys have been through my teacher training, so I know that this is a bold statement. But if you've done the 300, this isn't so radical. But if you're a 200 person, what do we do if we find out that yoga does not have anything to do with correct sequencing, with safe posturing, with correct counter pose, or prep posing? Like what happens to the structures of yoga that we've built if we take all of the things we thought were its foundation and we rip it apart? In my personal experience, that's where yoga starts. When you start allowing yourself to explore maybe the unknown spaces, the liminal spaces, the uncomfortable spaces, even if it doesn't look anything like your 200 hour yoga teacher training told you it was supposed to look, that's where yoga starts. So here we are in this universal experience of yoga. We as a culture, I don't wanna say us individually, I know some of y'all, I don't wanna say individually, but as a culture, we really thought we had this whole, like being a human thing figured out. You go to work, you make the money, you put away for retirement, you raise your kids, you retire, you might, I don't know, I know one of you would go to Hawaii, like you, you have this whole picture, this whole plan, and, and, you, and we live in this place where we idealize the plan, and then yoga fits as a piece into, and I do yoga every day right? We don't maybe give ourselves the space to explore the unknowns because what does unknown give us? It gives us a sense of insecurity. My foundations are rocking. If I don't know, if I'm at point A and I know how to get to point B and I can't see how to get to C, then I feel insecure. I feel unsafe. I feel like I'm uh, 
going to get myself in trouble, going to get my family in trouble, fill in the blank. But what if, again, I have no answers, just a bunch of what if questions in case you haven't noticed. But what if yoga is free falling? What if yoga isn't the understanding that there's a net at the bottom? What if yoga isn't even the courage to jump off the edge, but yoga is the free fall itself? Would you be doing yoga? If you thought yoga was a free fall rather than a way to manage the terror that comes in the free fall? Most of us are doing yoga as a management strategy. Most of us are doing yoga as a way to deal with the insecurity that we're feeling. And, and guys, way before COVID-19. Way before the world stopped in its tracks. We were doing yoga to manage our stress, our overwhelm, our physical discomfort, our terror, right? We weren't being yoga. We were doing yoga to try to make amends with these spaces of tension that we couldn't reconcile. And that's okay, right? One of the teachers says we practice yoga until we realize that yoga is what we are. So if yoga is free fall, then it's time to celebrate because we're all yoga. As much as we like to think we know what's happening or what's going to happen, we sit back and watch the powers that be start to dictate our future. And every single one of us is like, I don't know, right? In any given direction. But I don't know is the prevailing sentiment of the current era. You ask somebody how they're doing on the street. This is my favorite game these days. Walk down the street, walk your dog from a safe distance away. Ask your neighbors who have never been on their front lawn before ever, who are now on their front lawn. Ask them, how you doing? And they'll say, I don't know. Right? We don't even know how we're doing because all of the markers, all of the baselines by which we would measure how we're doing have been annihilated. <laughs> and so my question is, are we doing yoga to deal with the fear, the terror, the lack of security, the total annihilation of what we thought we were going to get, have, arrive to? Or are we living the terror, the fear, and the annihilation as yoga? If we're living all of that liminal space, that distance as our yoga, then we must start to consider whether or not we should go back to how things used to be. And if the answer is yes, and I have no answers, then it may very well be yes. Yes might be the answer. But then the next question I would ask you, and if you've done my 300-hour program, you already know what this question is. 
But if the answer is yes, why? Why would we go back to what was before? When you can answer that question, why, then we'll start to get into the understanding of what is yoga and what is insecurity wanting to be made secure. We'll start to get into the idea of what is yoga, the ability to hold opposing tensions simultaneously, and what is the desire just to escape the discomfort. If someone has guided you into the idea that yoga's entire experience, its system was built to help you escape discomfort, then it's time to start reevaluating whether or not that is yoga. Discomfort is a part of existing in these bodies meant to decay in time that moves regardless of how we want it to move. This experience of yoga is not synonymous with comfort, with ease, with peace. It is perhaps synonymous with courage, bravery, willingness. But the question is, what kind of yoga are you seeking? How are you seeking it? And how do you want it to translate in the future? Right? Okay. I stayed mostly on my first page of notes. Do you guys know uh, about Shiva and Shakti? You know about these cool people? They're not people. They're deities. In, in anthropomorphized form. <clears throat> Shiva is seen in the in the pantheon of gods as the destroyer he is he who turns everything to dust right and there was a reference in this um i highly recommend as weird as it is everybody read uh and really long it's 29 pages long uh biocomalafe's essay i coronavirus super worth your time but he references a teaching about shiva that that talks about shiva turning everything to dust and here we are we've been told that the measure of success is how sparkling and clean and dust free our lives are yes i'll type it into the chat or somebody else type it into the chat if you know what it is i coronavirus biocomalafe i can i can throw it up on our uh conversation so here we've been striving for this squeaky clean life, right? My parents call it keeping up with the Joneses. And no matter, and a few of you know this because you're on the front lines of this experience right now, but no matter how clean we make our lives, death is biting at our heels. And maybe for the first time ever, we're having a lived experience of that rather than just a theoretic one. And if that is true, if that is true, that for the first time ever, death is biting at our heels, regardless of how squeaky clean our life is, then can we look towards these identities that the, the anthropomorphized deities 
provide us and see that Shiva was never, ever going to do anything but make dust out of us all. Kali, you guys know Kali? Have you seen her? Girl needs a bath. She is covered in blood. She's topless. She has a skirt of arms. She has a necklace of skulls. She is wild and out of control. And she is the essence of time. The root word, the root of the word Kali is the same as the root of the word time in Sanskrit, Kala. The teachings have been, at least within the tantric pantheon, the teachings have been with us all along. The problem is we have been interpreting them based on our personal levels of comfort and the languages we desire to speak. So what if we just let them be what they are? What if we sit with the possibility that everything's being made into dust right now? And guys, this isn't new. It's always been happening. Just because coronavirus came into our experience, just because COVID-19 is knocking at our door, does not mean that all of a sudden we're all going to die. We were always all going to die. Every single one of us. So if that's true, how are we living the experience of a unified, mm, woven together, integrated life? So I have a lot of pages, but I'm running out of kala. The question that keeps coming to me is, why does yoga exile the things it fears? And when I say yoga, I mean the industry of yoga. I mean the business of yoga. Why is it always positive? Why does our yoga seek always to only, thank you, to only highlight how we feel better at the end and the pathway to feel better at the end. We have been training our entire culture that feeling good is success and feeling bad is failure. And I think it goes beyond our culture, our, maybe the globe. I can't speak for anybody but this United States of America. The happiness trap, absolutely, Brooke. So what, what if yoga doesn't say that at all? And I know I've said this to some of you guys before, but I'm a nerd to the nth degree. I read constantly. I've read a ton of yoga books, many, many uh, Upanishads, uh, the Yoga Sutras in several different translations, Bhagavad Gita in several different translations, several Tantras in several different uh, translations and interpretations, and I haven't once, not one single time, have I come across a teaching that says, if you do enough yoga, your life is gonna get really perfect, and then you're not gonna have to worry about all of the stress and all of the overwhelm 
What I have learned from reading all this stuff and practicing for 26 years is that life is chaos at its very essence, and yoga teaches us how to surf the chaos. And if we're lucky, yoga teaches us how to feel that even the chaos is holy, that even the chaos is sacred. What if that was the case? What if even your mess, your brokenness, even the fear and the insecurity that's oh, taking over right now, what if that was holy too? What if that was also yoga? How would it change the way we come together in a yogic practice? Again, I'm answerless, but deeply, deeply curious. I am electric with questions. Because all we have right now is the opportunity to stop and be curious, to ask questions about whether or not what we're doing has ever worked, or if we've just been doing what we thought we should be doing. And is what we thought we should be doing ever really what you were supposed to be doing? I don't know. I have a tendency not to believe in accidents. I'm sure it's just some sort of strange mythology I've built around my own personal fear of insecurity. But I have a tendency to believe that if we all show up at the right place in the right time, we're here because that's where we're meant to be. Now, does that mean that we're here at the right place in the right time so that we will all make each other feel better? I do not believe that, not for a second. But I do believe that there is power in the fact that we're all here, that we're all here during this completely insecure, unknown, foundationless place. I do believe there's opportunity available And maybe that opportunity doesn't necessarily look like packing our yoga classes. I have yet to talk to a yoga teacher. Feel free to raise your hand if you are the one who is different. But I have yet to talk to a yoga teacher who's really excited with how full their classes are. And really excited and and like calm about it. Like maybe they don't feel like they have to keep looking for students or keep working hard to keep their students, right? This idea of yoga as another way to exercise capitalism is something that might need to go under review. And listen, this is coming from me, a person who has a business built in yoga. Now, I also have really been evaluating the efficacy of what it means to have 25,000 yoga studios in the world. And for every yoga studio, there's probably three teacher trainings, so 75,000 teacher trainings. These are random numbers, not been fact-checked. What are we trying to do in the generation of so much accessibility of yoga? And is it really accessible? And some of you will have the answer to that question better than I do. I don't know that all these yoga studios and all these yoga teacher trainings are making yoga any more accessible than it ever has been. 
it might be taking it farther away from accessibility. So how do we, as the people who are committing at least an hour on a Sunday afternoon to come and listen to somebody rant about the future of yoga, <laughs> how do we meet it? We care enough to show up and, and have the conversation. So then the question is, how do we show up when things start to move? I don't want to say forward. I don't want to say forward when things start, when the pause starts to cease and the wheel starts to turn again. How do we want to show up as yogis in the world, as yoga teachers in the world, as studio owners in the world, as teacher training facilitators in the world? Does it, does it have to stop? So I'm going to challenge the idea that we either do it or we don't do it. This is not a zero one binary model even though we have been taught only to think in a zero one binary model there are innumerable possibilities between zero and one you guys know decimal points right they go on forever think of all the possibilities that exist between zero and one but because we need definitive answers because we seek security we can't hold space for anything that exists between the zero and one it's not a critique it's an observation when we start to recognize that maybe we've had it wrong all along the first thing that happens is we go into shame right why didn't I think about this before? I've wasted so much time, fill in the blank. But hopefully what happens from that place is we start to recognize that we've maybe all just been learning our way through a process. And when we recognize that we've all just been learning our way through a process, instead of feeling shame, we can just feel radically humbled. And radical humility might be yoga. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out what yoga is as it expresses itself as Kelly. But I do believe that humility is a huge piece of what it means to hold opposing tensions simultaneously. The ability to be wrong and that not make you wrong the ability to admit when we've lost our way, when we've gone off the rails, and it not make you a bad person or a failure, when our measurement of success and failure starts to disintegrate, and we get to just be who we are to the greatest fullness that we can imagine, then yoga becomes the thing that we're doing. It becomes who we are. But how much of a, of a, a machete chop that is to every story we've been told about what yoga is or what the world is or what we're supposed to be doing is so intense. That whack off at the knees is so intense that most of us can't even tolerate the thought of it until now.
Raise your hand if you've been thinking and wondering and questioning the ideas of success and failure since COVID-19. Yeah, look at that. Wow. How many of you have told yourself and maybe others in your life over the last six weeks, eight weeks, 10 weeks, I don't want it to go back like it was before. So what do we do about it? I don't have any answers. So if you came for me to tell you the 10 steps on how to get, how to change the world, you're going to be super disappointed. I don't have any answers. I don't know. I have the same questions, but I also have the same feelings. I don't want it to go back. I don't want to stop doing yoga. I want to do more yoga now than I've ever wanted to do before. I don't know how we're going to evolve this practice, but what I do know is that this practice has existed way before yoga studios, way before yoga classes, way before styles of yoga asana, way before yoga blocks and yoga straps, and little sticky rubber yoga mats, yoga has existed and persisted and adapted and changed to meet the needs where they are in any given time. And here we are gathered, showing up to say, I'm gonna be a part of the evolution of yoga. I'm gonna be a part of where yoga goes from here. And that is overwhelmingly exciting. But it is not secure or even mappable. So my suggestion to you is let's start getting crazy comfortable with discomfort. Let's start getting really good at insecurity. Let's imagine the feeling of free fall, not as something to avoid, but as something to step into. Let's commit to keeping our eyes open and our hearts open and our minds open and see what comes as everything we thought we knew starts to break apart and fall away. Okay, I've got, I do have some numbered things. This is, these are in the, here's, here's a, here's a David White suggestion. Can you leave it radically alone? Can you not touch it with your expectations or your desires? I talked to a friend of mine the other day and I was like, I don't even know how to dream anymore. You know, we used to be really good at making our vision boards and making our plans and deciding that, well, in June, I'm going to do this. And in August, I'm going to do this. And then in July, or sorry, I went backwards in time. That happens. And in October, I'm going to do this. And then by January, I'm going to be here. 
right? Weren't we graded that? We don't know where we're going to be in June. None of us do. We don't know what the world's going to look like in August or in October. We don't know what is going to be available to us in January. So the way that we dream must change. What if the way that we dream, the way that we plan is an act of radically leaving everything just as it is? Coming to yourself on a daily basis, whether it be via asana or meditation or a walk in the woods or a good cry and listening to what effervesces from inside of you rather than trying to align with some sort of system or structure that you have been told is what you're supposed to do. What if that is how we start to dream again? And can we be still enough, patient enough? Can we listen in enough to allow our dreams to come from within us rather than be something to strive for, reach for, try to attain outside of us? Can that be our next practice of yoga? My next dare, are you ready? I dare you to explore, to own, and to connect with yoga in new ways. Be surprised by what you find. I dare you to be wrong. I dare you to be afraid without trying to make yourself feel better. I dare you to be unsettled. Like you want to crawl out of your skin and sit in it. Make the willingness to sit in the agitation your yoga. I dare you. This one's easy and hard. I dare you not to make it better. Here we are. What if we don't try to make it better? Now, not just for you, but for everybody. Don't make it better for your kids. They need the space and time to grieve this as well. Their lives, though they cannot articulate it in the same way, have also been radically changed. I dare you not to make it better. Don't make it better for your spouse because they're not feeling like you're making it better. You're just being a pain in the ass. Don't make it better for your friends because they're just as unsettled and insecure and worried as you are and trying to make it better is a game that nobody wants to play. I dare you not to try to make it better. You ready? Last dare. I dare you. So there's a reason we're called Vera Bhava Yoga. Warrior's heart, courage. That's why I'm daring you and not inviting you. I dare you to not require this 
to end. To not require the ending of the way the world has turned to be the beginning of what will happen next. If the world is changing, can you be a part of the change and not just wait for the change to end? Can you find agency and the ability to be where we are right now and continue to live, to find ways to dream, to ask the hard questions, to show up bravely and courageously, to not make it better? Okay, that's the end of my dares. That's a lot. That wasn't even my numbered list. Everybody loves their numbered lists. Use this time and exploration to create the space for yoga to find you. Stop looking for yoga. It's in you. It's been in you all along. And now we're on pause. You don't have to succeed at it. You're not going to fail at it. Secret, you never, ever could fail at yoga ever. I don't care what your teacher trainers say. You can't fail at yoga. So see if you can be willing to explore so radically in your practice, be it your mat or your cushion, however that, that you're choosing to find your practice. Be so radical in your exploration that you allow yoga to find you. And then when it does, you'll know. I promise you. I can't tell you what it will be because it will be different for all of us. But when it finds you, what is it Bob Marley said? When it hits you, you'll feel no pain just for a second and then you will. Okay. So keep turning into your lead classes if that's what you need. Keep leading classes for the people that aren't yet understanding how to inhabit this pause as an opportunity to practice yoga. And maybe you can start utilizing the vocabulary of that pause to invite them also to find the yoga that is radiating from inside of them. The ability, and that's all it is, the ability to hold the two tensions simultaneously. Okay, what does this look like for Vera Bhava Yoga? Three minutes, ready, go, and then we'll open up for questions. We are, in case you can't tell, questioning everything. Now, I will be really frank with you that that is what Virabhava Yoga does and was pre-COVID-19 truth as well. But now we're questioning it in a little bit more liberating way. We don't know what's going to happen. And that doesn't feel like panic to Virabhava. It feels like opportunity. We're not going anywhere. This if no other time, yoga is needed now more than ever, right? So we're going to be showing up for y'all. We want you guys to be showing up for your students. This is how. We're talking with each other and we're listening. We're engaging in meaningful conversations, not just about what to do, but about how we're going to do it. We are reevaluating literally every system that holds up not only Virabhava Yoga, but everything. 
if we can define it as a system, we're thinking about it, we're questioning it, we're unraveling it. I'm really interested in how we can choose not to come out or not to spin the wheel and end up right back where we started. I'm really interested in how things can change radically, not just uh, in the offerings that we teach, but also in the way that we offer it. We are practicing more. If this stranging of the world has given you more time, please see what happens when you sit for an hour instead of half an hour, or you sit for half an hour instead of 15 minutes. See what happens. I promise you, it gets juicier the longer you do it. We are continuing to reframe our programming. So if you're interested in studying yoga in this way with us, it's still available to you. So we're continuing to run hybrid programs that are a, a combination of online content and live integrative content. Sometimes that live content at this moment looks a lot like this. And if we have the opportunity to get back into a room with each other, then we'll take it. Yeah. Finally, we are adapting, we are listening, and we are evolving in new ways with new eyes and the desire to collaborate in ways we've never even thought about before. So with our students, our mentors, and our teacher, we are going to teachers, we are going to continue on this path of connection as conversation where all voices contribute to the, this evolutionary process. We are re-holding what we call yoga. So learning how to unite the dark and the light into a single process, experience, integrative opportunity that we can call yoga. We're not demanding that things be just good or just bad. Hi, folks. We hope you enjoyed listening. If you would like to access the asana practices affiliated with each episode, please check out our webpage, www.virabhavayoga.com backslash podcast. And take advantage of our online classes, programming, and apparel by using the discount code PODCAST2021, all uppercase letters, to save 20% off everything on our website. That discount code is podcast 2021, all uppercase. Thanks for listening.